0: I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Si- silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now in silence. 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 Silence the shame. Hey, y'all, we're back for another Silence of Shame podcast. It's your girl, Life, and I'm super excited to have with us today Kevin Hines. Me and Kevin Hines having an intimate conversation about his life and things that he has going on around his organization, in his life, as it relates to mental health, how he's dealing with the holidays, and so forth and so on. So we are super excited. Mr. Hines, Welcome to the Silence to Shame podcast. Hi, life. How are you? I am super, super, super excited to be interviewing you today. Um, Mr. Hines, Kevin, what should we call you today? Kevin is the name. Mr. Hines is my father. Don't, uh, don't call
1: me that. I'm not,
0: we're I'm not, too young. I, too got, young, it. I yeah. got it. I got it. I got it. So super excited to have you in today with Silence to Shame. As you know, Silence to Shame is an organization um, that pushes mental health awareness across the state of Georgia but nationally we know that you are known as the miracle survivor of suicide tell us a little bit about that title and how you how you receive that title not the story but like do you really take on that persona is it something that you wear as a coat of armor now or is it shame that still comes behind that title
1: So, I'll say this first, because we're talking about silencing the shame. Yes. When I first did what I did on September 25th, the year 2000, when I leapt off the Golden Gate Bridge to try to take my life because of bipolar depression, uh, I had a lot of shame and a lot of guilt, and I was embarrassed, and Mm. I, I, I felt like I was a burden to everybody who loved me, and... I felt that shame for some time after the hospitalization, after the after physically going from a wheelchair to a walker and a back brace to a back brace and a cane, and then right into my first psych work. because You can't just go home after that, right? So that that shame uh, enveloped me, and it, and 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 it, it wore me out. Uh, sure. And I'll never forget years later when I met the love of my life, my wife Margaret Hines, who is my greatest gift from mm-hmm. God. Um, I, I remember being in a Starbucks and we were sitting there having a cup of coffee and she was asking me questions about my life. Right. And it was, it was one of our first dates I think. And and I, and I I, I very openly and honestly said, I have bipolar disorder as loud as I'm saying it to you right now. And I said, and, and you know, when I jumped off the golden gate bridge, this is what happened as loud as you, yeah, people started literally moving their tables away. Wow. Different, different couples together, moving their tables away. Like we don't want to be around this guy.
0: He's got and a plague.
1: He's got a plague. He right. has something wrong with it's him. There's something wrong, right? And, and I turned to one of the tables and I said, you know, if I broke my arm and I had a cast on right now, I had a happened. cast on my leg or was walking with a crutch or a cane, you would have no issue with what I with, with what I was going through. Right. But because I'm dealing with brain pain, hmm. you have a problem. And you know what? That's, That's your, your problem. problem. That's not mine. <laughs> and so I remember coming out of that shame feeling from what I did to empowerment hmm. and I realized that I could I could share a message of hope, healing and recovery from brain pain. Right. to help people who are still in that shameful period come into the light. Okay. and recognize that their greatest deficit can be their greatest asset but
0: only if they allow it great, great, great points. You said something that resonates with me and we were talking about your story before we got here. Um, And you said something about shining your light. Tell me how you deal with your darkness while spreading light. Because it's not, it's not an ending to what to bipolar. It's not something that's cured. When you have a mental health disorder or illness, this is something you deal with for the rest of your life. So tell me how you deal with your current darkness while spreading light to the world.
1: So you know, uh, living with bipolar depression, uh, my, I'm adopted. My birth parents both uh-huh. had manic depression, what we today call bipolar disorder, and and I, I was genetically predisposed to it twice. I accept the diagnosis, even though I don't like having labels. I don't like having labels, but I accept the diagnosis, mm-hmm. and. It's brought me to a a great many dark places. Thousands of thousands of upon thousands of times I've been suicidal. I live with chronic thoughts of suicide. They plague me. They'll never take me. Thank you. I haven't attempted since September twenty fifth, two thousand. That's twenty three years. Wow. Last month, I've been alive, thriving. Yeah, thriving. And congrats. I mean that's I mean,
0: that's a that's a journey within itself. Just just having that understanding and the need to continue to live even after thinking that there was no reason to live like after jumping off of the bridge and once you jumped did you think this is the choice i should have made or was there guilt when you made that leap were you thinking even in that moment or how did how did that transpire once
1: the the moment the moment my hands left the rail It was an instantaneous regret for my actions. Really? And the absolute recognition that I just made the greatest mistake of my life and it was likely too late. And I always say to people, how too late? Well, 99.9% of the people that have leapt off the Golden Gate Bridge Mm -hmm. in the last 87 years since its opening in 1937, it's been too late. It's been too late. They're gone. Yeah. They're all gone. Yeah. Only thirty now, now forty people have survived that leap off the Golden Gate Bridge one just a couple of weeks ago, even, maybe even a week ago. Forty people have survived the fall. twenty six of us remain alive today. Many have died of natural causes or old age. okay. Nineteen have come forward to say they all had the same instant regret that I had the moment their hands left the rail. If you think about that, hmm. think about all what the people who died. Yeah. Think about all the means of suicide that exist in the world and those right. deaths. Did they all have instant regret before it was too late? Mm-hmm. And my response is most likely. And that's very hard for people who lose people to suicide
0: to hear. Right. That they regretted their actions. Cause that's what you want to know. Yeah. That's the that's the yeah. last thought. What were you thinking in that last yeah. moment? That's what m- most of your friends and family are like. How did we get here? Or how could I have helped before that last thought and moment? How could I have t- stepped in to be a support within them? Were there times in in people in your life during that time, I hear that you adopted. So were you aware that your birth parents had mental health illness or was it after the fact that you were diagnosed when you were aware of that? How do you, how do we make our family and friends more aware when it's such a silent, yeah. what we consider a silent battle with mental health?
1: So my, so my birth family, uh, I went looking for them at 25 Okay. and this was after my attempt. My attempt was when I was 19 and, I didn't learn that, they, that my birth mother and father both had manic depression, bipolar disorder, until much later in life. I also didn't know that many of my birth family on my mom's side struggled with brain and mental health issues. Wow. Um, I, I was informed that there was only a, only one of them, just my mom. Mm-hmm. So I, I learned that so many others had these issues. And um, I, uh, what my, my mom's sister, my auntie, her, her, her son would die by suicide. And, um, and it's, and, and you know, I never got to meet him, but here's the thing, this, there's a silver lining here. Okay? okay. I had all this tragedy in my infancy because my birth parent, and this is something that a lot, not everybody knows my birth parents, after they had me and my, my only full blooded brother, they, they succumbed to drugs and alcohol, another brain, health another brain health a, right. disease. Right. And they succumbed to that. And. Um, and me and my brother and I were taken away from them by social services and the police, and we were placed in a foster care. And they placed us in a foster care where my brother and I both contracted a vicious strain of bronchitis due to neglect in foster care because wow. there's a lot of neglect in foster
0: right. care. Right, yeah, indeed.
1: There's a lot of foster parents that take on foster children just for the paycheck,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and that's tragic in and in, into itself. And there's a lot of foster kids who die by suicide, disproportionately to other children. Really? Um, and, and, and and then you have more black foster children that die by suicide than than, than white. Any and, race. and I'm a mixed race kid. My, my birth father was half Mexican, half Italian. My birth mother, Marcia, may she rest in peace, was Jamaican, black, African, Airwalk, Indian, Portuguese, wow. Scottish, Irish, English, and Sephardi Jew. She was beautiful. I'm sure. Um, and, 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 and I never got to know her. And all I wanted growing up in my life was to finally meet her Mm. and to do one thing, to tell her three words. I love you. Mm. That was my life's goal for so long. And then at 25, I learned that uh, two years prior to me uh, searching for her, um, she had been seven years sober from drugs and alcohol. Um, We were raised in a crack motel in the beginning of our lives. So she had been seven years sober and my it was my birth sister who I didn't know I had that got her sober, and then one day, it's my understanding one day she went back on drugs mm. and she 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 ended up in an accident okay I don't know if it was a suicide attempt or not it right. may have been um and she died a year later to the date of the amputation due to complications to that amputation from that accident Wow, so I never got to tell her I loved her, but I'll tell you this. She knew. When I met my sister, when I met my sister for the first time, the uncanny resemblance of our mom. I have one picture of our mom. It's in my wallet right now. Oh. One picture. I'm going to pull it out because it's, it's
0: really <laughs> special. You're giving oh, us some really gems really, today, really right? special
1: to me. This is, yeah, I'm just going to put that up there. This is my mom. This is mom. That's mom. Hi, and, mom. And uh, her name is Marcia. Oh, and It's in
0: your front of your oh, wallet. Oh, yeah. Like no, that.
1: no. It's, it has to be. So. Um, and, and, well, let me, so. So. She, my sister Shika comes around the corner. Okay, the uncanny resemblance of mom in a red sundress and a scarf like only a San Franciscan can. <laughs> and she walks up and she hugs me and without knowing my story.
0: She said, "Without knowing
1: that I wanted that, I love you." She says, "I love, I love
0: you. you. I love that."
1: And it was like every this whole this this emptiness in my gut that I'd had this void I'd had for my entire life filled instantly. Done. field
0: instantly so you mentioned a couple of things being adopted as one not knowing your birth parents or birth story yeah. what's the difference the knowledge in having that knowledge of your historical background for children who are adopted and yeah. not living with their birth parents or just period like we do a lot of these looking back to see our ancestry yeah. like backgrounds but we never really do a medical background to see how how affluent these diseases are within our families and how that knowledge could benefit generations past us
1: so so you we know about generational trauma yes right and we know that my birth family struggled with a lot of things in their past but i'll tell you this um you know understanding where i came from Mm. that you know hundreds of family members in jamaica like you know which we're going to go see and meet and have a family reunion is going to be incredible i love that you know that 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 means something Mm -hmm. and all my life all my life uh Everyone just assumed I was whatever ethnicity they were, you know, cause, cause we're right here just, beside each other. Yeah, so- you, you must be, you, are you this? Are you that? And I never knew. Hmm. And I remember someone telling me, well, why does it matter? I was like, well, it matters like, a great deal <laughs> right. because it matters <laughs> to know where I came from, who I came from and what my makeup is. Yeah. When I learned what I was, I always knew something. I always knew, but, I but, and people always assumed, but then I found out and, I identify with all of it. Mm. And it means the world to me to know my ethnic makeup uh, because it it gives me a solidarity in understanding where I come from, who I come from, and who they were and who I am. Right. And that's
0: important. It is. It is important.
1: And and the people that try to knock it down say, well, you're just American. Well, Mm, hold on.
0: There's a lot that goes in there, right?
1: (laughs) First of all, I learned that my birth father, Martino, his father came from Sardinia, Italy. Uh, and he, his father was a his my grandfather Giovanni. Who I, my birth name is Giovanni. Really? They changed my birth name to Kevin Hines because all of the kids at school were making fun of the name Giovanni. So I come home one day and I go, Mom, Dad, I don't want to be called Giovanni anymore. Can you give me a new name? And they're like, No. But I was like, <laughs> Just give me a new name, please. Like, can you call me Michael? They were like, Michael. What are you talking How about? Did you get to Michael. I was right? like, Okay. Well, G- John. G- Giovanni means John john kevin hines so huh. just do with that because okay. my dad's name is patrick kevin hines Got who it. adopted me and made me his son and so you know but 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 going back to the ancestry uh it's very important to know when you don't right because you, you needed to learn where you can come from and 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 you know and who you were meant to be and who you were meant to help because That's the difference because when i realized that i was part Arawak indian part portuguese uh, you know uh, part part black, part Mexican, um, you know, uh, part African. Those cultures. Those cultures. I yes. wanted to learn all about them, so I immersed myself in it, and it helped me see a different side to myself, and to see who my mom was, right. and my dad was, right. and because that's who I am, uh, right? And that's to learn to learn who, where right. they came from, mm-hmm. you know. So my dad's dad, Giovanni, my my grandfather, he migrated to America, uh, and he was a sous chef in. In, uh, he was an upholsterer in Italy, but he became a sous chef for the rest of his life in in America. And what 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 I learned about my dad was that he and his brothers were all, uh, frankly, criminals. Hmm. They were in and out of jail their whole lives. And it, it, you know, but but nobody understood that it was because of their brains. Nobody recognized. Nobody, nobody ever made that connection. Nobody recognized that their behavior was a direct determinant from what they were going through. What it was their language. Through. It was their language, yes. They, they, they hurt other people because they were hurt. That's not to say they, need, they don't need to take responsibility for their actions and, 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 and get consequences. But when That's you know better, you do better. And if you never know better, you never do better. Right. And my father, when he came to court to fight for me, my birth parents fought for custody of me versus Pat and Debbie Hines. But my birth father then disappeared during the court hearings. He accosted an undercover police officer and he was killed. Wow. Now, he, he, uh, it's my understanding he pulled a knife on the police officer he, and tried, right. tried to hurt him, so what was done consequences was done, right. consequences for his actions. But my birth mother came to the courtroom one day and said, Patrick, Deborah, I can do this no longer. Please take care of my son.
0: She gave you because of love. Because she It was the her. best thing yes. she could have done. Yes,
1: There was no way she could rear me as a child, raise me, and get me to safety with what she was going through, mm-hmm. what she was dealing with, and where she was living. Right. She had to do that, and I thank her for that. It was that. a sacrifice. She saved my life, and she sacrificed her undying love for her child to get me
0: to safety. Mm-hmm. And Patrick and Deborah Hines absolutely saved my life. I love that. That's incredible. Speaking of saving your life. Now that you're a survivor, now you're the face of surviving, what is your survivor's guilt? Do you have survivor's guilt? Is there a shame that you would like to silence around those who have survived? What is it that you would like to inform us as it relates to I am still here, still thriving, still in recovery with my bipolar diagnosis? I do not have survivor's guilt. Uh, I may have had it years ago, okay.
1: 20, 20 years ago. Um, I grew out of that real quick. Okay. How? Because if I look, I don't wish what I did on anyone. My hope is that people watching this or seeing this or hearing this don't learn the hard way like I did. Right. And that they choose life from the beginning Hmm. and that they recognize that suicide is never the solution to their problem. It is the problem. Suicidal ideations are the greatest liars we know. We don't have to listen to them. Right. Suicide does not take the pain away. It only makes it impossible for things to ever get better. Hmm. That said, I don't have survivor's guilt. And when I did, I got over it because I realized I survived for a reason. That's it. I have a purpose. That's it. I have my why so I can live my how. That's it. And in having my why, I understand that I get the opportunity to share this message with lives all over the world Of people who are struggling with brain pain and help them get over the hump to a safe place. Mm. I'm not the answer. I'm not a lifesaver. Right. But hundreds of thousands of people literally have said, I saved their life. My story saved their life. Fine. I didn't do that. Mm. They heard a message. And you did it. It was a conduit. They heard a message. They heard the story. They read the story. They saw the story on a video. They went home. They did the work. They Mm, told their mm. loved ones they were sick. They told their doctors they needed help. They asked for the help they needed to be given. They started the conversation. They saved their lives. And they need to take credit for that. And and in that, I understand that uh, this life is potentially the greatest gift we have ever been given next to faith. I have a strong faith in God. And you talked about a miracle earlier, and I didn't answer your question. I want to now. When I leapt off the Golden Gate Bridge, three things happened that saved my life. Okay. A woman driving by in a red car saw me go over the rail, called her friend in the United States Coast Guard who happened to be manned in the waters of the bridge at that moment. The only reason the Coast Guard boat arrived to my position in the water before the I was to drown was because of that woman's phone call. In the water, before the Coast Guard boat arrived, I wow. was drowning. I couldn't get back to the surface of the water. I kept going down. I thought to myself, this is it. This is where I go. Wow. What have I done? Wow. I don't want to die. What did I do? And that's when something began circling beneath me. I thought, you got to be kidding me. I didn't die jumping off the Golden get Gate Bridge. I'm going to get eaten by a shark. A shark's <laughs> oh, gonna eat me. Wait. You got to be. And there's, it's a great ripe breeding ground down there. So I was like, oh, this is horrible. I was waiting for it to bite my leg off. Yes. But it doesn't. It just bumps me to the surface. To get you back up. No longer am I waiting or treading in the water. I'm top of my back, you. being kept buoyant or afloat by this creature, circling beneath my back, my shoulders, my elbows, and my knees, and I'm laying on the water
0: until the Coast Guard boat arrives. And you're, you're not making that effort. whatever was No, beneath no, you, I was not even moving cr- at
1: this point. Because you, are, you this, were hurt at I, this moment. I, I had shattered my T12, L1, L2, missed, severing my spinal cord by two millimeters that day. Wow. So here I am floating above the water with this creature bumping me to the surface.
0: And it doesn't leave me until the Coast Guard border arrives. Talk about me. faith. Come on. Talk about the supreme being knowing that you had a different and divine purpose to be here, to tell this yeah, story, to yeah. move other people, to move these thousands. Because some, sometimes we don't we don't realize we're not the only ones in this struggle yeah. until we hear a story like yours or a survivor that has made... like When we hear things like this and you're walking, you're not yeah. in a wheelchair, you're literally looking at me and we're looking at each other eye to eye, People don't understand mental health illness is a silent killer. And we have to understand how to recognize that even when you don't realize you're recognizing that in others. And that being said, how does your family now hold you up or know when you are in those moments? Do you have... um, uh, safe words that you use now within your family? Are uh, there triggers that they know of? Is this some type of education or information that you provided to them? Or there was this training that you went afterwards so that your family can be able to mm. support you and others moving forward? Because it doesn't end. And your family still is confused of how to support you. And they're worried. After and they're worried they're to worried. see if this is going to happen is this again. Is going to happen
1: again? My father, when we made the film Suicide, The Ripple Effect, about my life story and, and uh, traveled to six countries making that movie, My father, uh, I asked him in the movie, in the documentary, I said, during during his interview, I said, Dad, do you still fear my death by suicide? Mm -hmm. And he grabbed his left pocket, which is where his phone was. He said, Kevin, every time the phone rings. Wow. He did not say when I call him.
0: Every time. He
1: said when the phone goes off in his pocket each and every time for the last 23 years. His first and every response in his mind is, Is my son Kevin alive? Wow. My actions did that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: today I take full and 100% responsibility for my actions. So I live with chronic thoughts of suicide. Yes. They'll never take me. Here's how. And this is what your audience needs to hear and right. listen to. Two things I do every single time I'm suicidal. Number one, I find a mirror, any mirror, anywhere. I say, my thoughts do not have to become my actions. They can simply be my thoughts. Here, say it with me. My, my thoughts, thoughts do not, not have, to have to become, become my actions. actions. They, they can simply be, be my, my thoughts. thoughts. The second thing I do is say four simple but very effective words I need help now. now. The difference between me and someone who attempts or dies by suicide is that I don't stop saying those four words until somebody helps me. Hmm. By the sheer probability of the number of people I turn to, someone in 23 years has always been
0: willing to to empathize with my pain and help keep me here. What a word. There's always someone that's willing to help. And many of us... And I don't know how many of you have ever had these suicidal ideations, but you always think there's no one out there to help. How do you help them help you? Yeah, by informing yeah. them what's going on, or when you don't have the words to say, hey, this is how I'm feeling today. Yeah. How do we help our loved ones, our friends, our family, be able to help us yeah. through those times?
1: So my loved ones know that when I use the... That's my shorthand is the I need help now. They know when I say those words, that means I'm directly suicidal. Is that a text? It, it, it can be a text. It can be a phone call. It can be face-to-face, whatever it is. When I say those four words in they that know order, what that means. they know what that means. Certainly my wife, who is the my biggest supporter who... Mm. Uh, who gets the, the most of those messages and goes, okay, it. she says, is this acute? Do you need to go to the hospital or can we figure this out together right now? Right. And usually it's, well, you know, I just need some time. Like mm-hmm. I just need you to sit next to me and be with me in this moment. And she sits next to me and she's with me and her arm is over my shoulder or she's holding me and, and I know I'm safe even for myself. Yeah. And I make the promise not to attempt or not to plan to attempt and I'm safe. Right. So, right. So it's a matter of when you have a moment of clarity, Mm -hmm. when you are reasonably well, making a plan for when you're not. Right. So that you have a complete brain and mental health emergency plan. And mine is very specific. I have a 10-step regimen, a routine that, that I follow every day. And when I follow that routine, I'll give you a few of them. So, I'm physically capable. Obviously, some people are not. We have to recognize that. Right. But I get to exercise 3 to 6 days a week. I do it I do it as often as I can. I eat anti-inflammatory meals most meals, most most days because that feeds my brain okay. and helps me stay stable mentally. I educate myself as to my diagnosis. That means I'm reading everything that comes out, every Google alert on bipolar disorder, yes. every Google alert on mental health and suicide prevention. I get them into my inbox. I digest them at the end of the week. And by by the end of the week, I'm smarter and know more about how wow. to better balance my brain health than the next person. Right. So I'm putting in the time, effort, effort, energy, and hard work to stay stable no matter the pain I'm in. You all don't know this because I look happy and go lucky right now, but I walked in here with a great deal of physical pain from what I did to myself, and I deal with this every single day. Nobody sees it on my face. I'm so used to it, I don't show it, but I am in a great deal of physical pain from what I did jumping off that bridge. I shattered three vertebrae. They were replaced by titanium. The slightest misstep for me is excruciating pain. And and that's okay. I need no pity. I did that to myself. It's a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder. And and I'm grateful for the pain because it reminds if we, me that I'm, I'm still alive. here. I'm still here.
0: Oh, powerful. You spoke about the pain we don't see and the pain you're in right now. You walked in smiling, greeting us. That's a mask. How many of us wear masks on a day-to-day basis? And how do you deal with those masks? Do you have children?
1: I don't have children. We, have, my wife and I, have two godchildren, Zoe and Judah. I always give them a shout out when I when I, when I get a chance to Hello. talk about. They're awesome. beautiful.
0: They're, yeah. Those masks. They're not your children, but all all of us know that if yeah. some children are in our world, they're ours to be yeah. raised. Tell us how you teach them on how to hold oh, th- their masks.
1: This is great. So, <laughs> so my, my my nephew Judah, when he was seven, he's he's twelve now. When he was seven. Um, he noticed Uncle Kevin was having a hard time. Mm. And, and, uh, and Hard what, time physically no, or mentally? No, no, well, both, but mentally I was really unwell. Okay. And, and, and it was like several, we used to go see them every day, and it, several days in a row I was really struggling. Okay. And he came up, he said, Uncle Tevin, are you okay? He already knew. I said, and, and, and here's the thing when I was, when I, when I left off the Golden Gate Bridge, I wanted one person to stop me and say, Are you okay? Is something wrong or can I help you? Nobody said anything. Um, but my nephew said, Are you okay in this moment? And I said, uh, Judah, Uncle Kevin's having a hard time. And he, ju- and he just hugged me. He just hugged me. Well, then I think some students in his school a couple years later mm-hmm. told him what happened to me. And I'll never forget, we, we were traveling to go visit them. They live in Massachusetts. We okay. walked into their home. I, I don't remember how old he was. Maybe he was eight or nine. And he ran up to me, Uncle Kevin why did you jump off a bridge?
0: Wow.
1: Oh, I'm in the wow. hot seat now. Wow. I'm in the hot yeah. seat now. <laughs> and and, then, I, and I, then you
0: have to realize with well, age, right. I looked at,
1: I looked at, but they know. They, they, they know are more, well they know aware. They more than you Well think. aware. And so I looked at his parents. I said, is it okay? And they said, you know, go for it. And I, cause they had been talking, the mm-hmm. whole family had been talking about it. And I said, Judah, have you ever been so sad it hurts? And he said, Yes. I said, Uncle Kevin was so sad. It was the worst hurt I'd ever been in. And I thought I couldn't hurt anymore. Yeah. But what I didn't realize, Judah, was that I could get past my hurt and I could find hope. You know hope? He goes, yeah. And I said, and he said, will you ever do that again? Wow. I said, Judah, I will never do that again. I promise. He said, you promise? I said, I promised. And then I I gave him the biggest hug I Mm -hmm. could. Um,
0: he did more for you that day than you yeah, probably did for him, I'm sure. That's right.
1: And and then we learned from his teachers that Judah, for years after learning that, would go around to all of his classmates that seemed sad or were crying. And give them a hug. He would put their, his arm around them and say, it's going to be okay.
0: I love that. I'm it's
1: here for you. A
0: change agent you a made.
1: Cha- <laughs> <laughs> well, he's incredible. And You know, it, it, uh, when you can, look, here's the bottom line. We need to teach mental health literacy, kindergarten on up. This is true. They're
0: going to learn it. This is, they're they're going to see it. it.
1: Mm-hmm. They're going to see it in the media that is produced. There's too much spiteful, hateful, rageful, angry, horrible media in the world. Right. We're doing good media. We're doing media for change. This mm-hmm. is awesome. <laughs> but there's, statistically far speaking, far more negative, hateful, spiteful, horrible media out there yes. that is damaging our children's brains. And they can access it so quickly because so many parents hand them the device... To the, at the breakfast, yeah, lunch, and dinner table yeah. instead of talking to them and giving them a message that they need to hear. And that needs to
0: change. I, I totally agree. We were just having this conversation the other day about... Why is it that why is it that our children are being fed such ne- negativity? Why is it so many things that are happening in the world it doesn't doesn't seem like this happened when we were kids. I'm 44 yeah. so you you realize that life is changing and evolving but love never has to do that. Yeah. Love is yeah. consistent and it's, it's always constant. it's always constant. With that being said and with everything in this this podcast and the platform we have today, you have a new book coming out you don't want to talk about the book? No, I do, I do. I right. do. The book, the book is out. The
1: book so is, the here. Book is I brought, here. I brought three copies. You all get one. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah.
0: The art of being broken. Yes. How storytelling can save a life. Yeah. We're here telling your story. Yeah hoping that it will change the life of another that sees this. You've changed so many lives that you know because someone has told you, because of right. your story, my life has changed. How is How can we take this book and utilize it, or what's in your book that okay. we can utilize to be able to help make a change agent yes. and save someone's life?
1: Yes, so that's the whole point of the book, is that uh, The Art of Being Broken, How Storytelling Saves Lives, is a book about... Uh, how to listen or read uh, stories of triumph over incredible adversity Hmm. and use those stories to augment your destiny. So there's seven contributing authors in the book. I didn't, you know, I've been telling my story for 23 years. I've been telling my story longer than a lot of these mental health advocates have been out there for, for, (laughs) no, 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 no shade on them. I'm just saying I've been doing this since the beginning. And, and I will tell you that uh the stories in this book hmm. stories are twenty two times more memorable than statistics or facts or even PowerPoint. This is so true. Stories ingrain in the brain. Mm-hmm. They actually change your neural pathways. Of your brain, so when when I'm telling this story on this podcast,
0: it's going to change. It's going to change brain someone's pattern.
1: brain patterns. When I'm telling a story in a speech, it's going to change someone's brain patterns. When they're reading it from the page of my books, it's, it's going to change their brain. And what they do is they experience a wholehearted sense of empathy mm-hmm. for the individual story or the people's stories. And then they go home, and they they take it all in, all that data, all that yep. information. Yeah. And they attribute it to their life and what they've been through. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what happens is people go, hey, they got through it. I can. So can I. Yeah. I can continue. I can forge onward. I can survive this Life. Huh. Life. Life, life. <laughs> is worth living. Yes. And so the stories I've told in this book, um, I'm going to break it down real quick. So Ashley Get Hunt Ashley Hunt uh, survived a sexual assault, survived her mom's uh, addiction, who passed away, okay. um, and has an incredible story. Uh, Brandy Benson. Brandi Benson is phenomenal. Veteran in the military, lived with sarcoma, you, you and sarcoma cancer. I think it's a 91% death rate. Yeah. She survived. She's a great survivor. Um, we have Jazz Rawlinson. Uh, survived her, her father's domestic abuse for years, uh, went on to teach people all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Joe Williams, Aboriginal man from Australia, great accent. He's probably the handsomest man I know. I'll okay. that one. <laughs> Great accent. People love it. But but he survived a, a drug and alcohol addiction while, while playing in the NRL, basically uh, Australia's football league. Okay.
0: Um, okay. And
1: he was a professional boxer, but he was out of his mind with drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and, and bipolar depression, and he got through it, and he teaches people how to defeat... Uh, mental pain, brain pain, and also addictions. Incredible. Wow. Then you got Pat Lawson, who started the organization Mental Health Awareness. Three, three words: Mental Health Awareness. Um, and he's also in Australia, uh, and he tells his story of surviving anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and a very deep suicide attempt. But he's here to tell that story. Uh, and, and then you you got Dana Whitmer, who lost her son Matthew to the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. But she was one of the biggest and staunchest advocates to raise the net at the Golden Gate Bridge. It's going up right now. Awesome. Uh, we worked on that. We worked on that for twenty three years. Oh, I'm so it's excited. It's going around, uh, very soon. V- little to no people will ever again die off the Golden Gate Bridge and it will become the largest, brightest, most powerful beacon for suicide prevention right around the world. And then you have Lindsay Dunbar who who uh, experienced five uh, five different miscarriages mm. with her and her husband, which is just awful. And my, my wife and I have experienced miscarriage. We've been unable to have kids. It's really a, 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 it brings us desperate pain. But, but the way Lindsay expresses that story, it's imperative that everyone reads
0: it. It's so cool. A crucial. mother needs to hear and that. And so you
1: hear my story in the book, an update of my story, what's happened since my last book till now. Okay. But you also get to hear all these other incredible stories of change, hope, healing, and recovery.
0: I love that. I love that you have incorporated so many lived experience individuals from different walks of life so that anybody that picks up this book can see that it happens to us all. It doesn't matter where you're from, how, what do you have. It can hit any home at any time.
1: And when they turn to the author page and they see the pictures of those individuals... They're going to see themselves in them wherever they come from.
0: Because they've seen themselves in that space before. And then they can see that there's hope after this and that you still should live life even after these thoughts that you're having about ending your life. Kevin, this has been one awesome conversation. Are there any words of hope, um, any thoughts for individuals um, that you would like to leave them with of how to help a family member or friend or um, anybody who is dealing with suicidal ideations right now, that we can help them have that hope moving forward.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about silencing the shame. Yes. Okay. So when you think about this, uh, we have, so let's say we have someone we know and love and care about their child dies by suicide mm-hmm. or from addictions or from, from a drug overdose or, or both. Um, And everybody in the neighborhood ignores them. Mm. Shame. Everyone in the neighborhood looks at them and keeps on walking. Yes. When they go to church, people don't come up like they used to. Stop it. Mm. If you know someone who lost their loved one this way, approach them. Yeah. Any words are better than no words. This is true. What can I do for you? How can we help you? Mm-hmm. What do you need from us? We're here for you. We got you. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? Because maybe they don't. That's the big Maybe thing. they don't. Right. Do you want to talk about it? If you do, I'm a friendly ear to listen. Mm-hmm. I'll listen to understand, not, not to respond. respond. I got you. And so I think that this is uh, the biggest change that needs to be made in, in society as it relates to suicide, yeah. uh, th- to those who have lost ones to suicide, is that we can't ignore the problem. We can't pretend it never happened. Right. We have to engage. Yes. Bring the, the family down the street that just lost their loved one, their, their child to suicide, a pie. Make yeah. the, Bake them a pie like we used to in the 1950s. <laughs> bake them a pie. <laughs> right. Bake them a casserole. I don't care what it is. Your, your best meal that you cook, cook it. And bring it it. over. Yeah. It's comfort food and say, we just want to let you know, we're so sorry for your incredible loss Mm -hmm. and we're just down the street
0: if you need to talk. Say something. Say something, not nothing. Silencing the shame by saying something. Say something. Speak out. Speak often. Speak up. Any (laughs) reason... You have spoke out today. You have showed up and spoke out today. Any resources you want to lend them? Of course, we have the Silence of Shame um, website. We have many other resources here in the state of Georgia. We have 988 that you can call when you're in a crisis. Yeah. Any other specific resources that you have yeah, that you I would we, like to my,
1: give? My wife and I have been putting together resources for quite a long time, okay. for all of these 23 years. If you just go to bio.site slash Kevin Hines story, okay. you will be led to all of them. B-I-O. B-I-O dot S-I-T-E slash Kevin Hines story. H-I-N-E-S-S-T-O-R-Y.
0: Perfect. Kevin, this has been amazing. I am super excited to have this is a family reunion because we figured out that we're back back together. We're not going to leave each other. We're going to do some amazing work. This is life. This This is is life. life. (laughs) (laughs) You have life. You have given life to others. Any last words you'd like to leave around to young people who are struggling with life in this moment okay
1: if you're right now considering suicide stop just breathe take 40 resonance breaths in four out through your mouth like a whistle pursed lips but like a whistle but no sound for for eight seconds in four out eight do that 30 to 40 times Today is not your end, it's just the beginning. Just because you're in a world of pain today does not mean you don't get to have that beautiful tomorrow. But friends, you have to be here to get there in the first place. I thought it was all over. I thought I had to die. And I was wrong. And so are you. You're going to have that beautiful life where you thrive. But only if you believe. I made the greatest mistake of my life when I leapt off that bridge. Don't learn the hard way like I did. Choose life. Choose the good fight to find hope, to change your perspective and your perception, to change your destiny. Someday you will thrive. Don't ever forget that. Fight to thrive.
0: Fight to live. Oh, man. I don't, I don't like, that message alone Is going to change so many people. So thank you again, Kevin, for joining us on the Silence to Shame podcast. Tell people how they can find you on all social media platforms or your website. Yeah, really easy. Just bios.site slash Kevin Hines story. B-I-O
1: dot S-I-T-E slash Kevin Hines story. All my resources are right there.
0: Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. We would like to thank you, our listeners, our sponsors, our families, our friends, for always joining us for a great conversation on the Silence the Shame podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to this video. But also remember, please go donate by texting silence to the number 707070. Take time, save a life and silence the shame. Thank you.